A while back, a few years ago, I guess, Mike Hunchback recommended a book to me called The Entertainer by Margaret Talbot, the writer for The New Yorker. And it's sort of a biography, not really, but it's about uh, Margaret Talbot's father, Lyle Talbot, the character actor. Although it's really more about the early days of the film and television industry. Really interesting book, and one of the things that uh, I can't even remember why piqued my interest was a film that she had mentioned that Lyle Talbot had been in called Heat Lightning, which was directed by Mervyn Leroy, came out in 1934. And it's one of those things that I put on my list and never managed to get around to actually seeing because I couldn't be bothered to pay $2 to Amazon to rent it. But YouTube TV did its job and DVR'd it for me recently when it was on TCM. So I finally got a chance to see it. All my life, probably all of your life too, you've heard that when Marlon Brando came around, it changed acting. Obviously, the implication is it changed it for the better. And the other implication is that prior to Brando, acting was stiff and wooden and stagey. And Brando and some of the other method actors changed it for the better. I disagree with this. And in fact, I would argue that a lot of the supposedly great acting of the 60s and especially the 70s doesn't look that great in retrospect. And also a lot of those actors who are considered great in the wake of Brando, including Brando himself, did some unbelievably bad work later in their careers. And some of them are still doing pretty bad work. But there's plenty of examples, if you want them, if you go back, of really, really great acting pre-Brando. And one of them is the performance of a woman named Aileen McMahon, who plays the lead in Heat Lightning. And I think for most of her career, at least from what I was able to gather from the internet, she was a supporting actor, really. She had a, a very long career, and, and I'm sure successful, but she was never a star. But this performance is pretty incredible. She starts out as a uh, pretty homely woman who owns and runs a service station in the desert. And you see her early on in the bay under a car, and she's like a little rodent in her burrow or in her nest. She's got her hair pulled back with a bandana on it, no makeup. And her sister is played by Anne Dvorak, who I think was, at the time, pretty famous. I may be wrong about that. Uh, she might have been a bigger star a little bit later than that. And uh, Lyle Talbot has the supporting role to the heel, who is a gangster who appears out of uh, the McMahon character's past. Aileen McMahon plays a character named Olga, which they all pronounced Olga, which I thought was kind of funny. But she, it's, it's a really understated but fascinating performance, and it, it's a pre-code film, so it uh, is a little more risque 
than stuff you would have seen a few years later. But it really portrays better than anything I think I've ever seen on film the idea of uh, one's past coming back to haunt a person. But it, it's, it's not as simple as that either. It goes a little further than that because she kind of tests those boundaries. She's protecting her sister out there in the desert and trying to keep her sister from making the same mistakes that she has made in her past. It's eventually revealed pretty early in the film. And the film's short. It's only about an hour long. But we see when this man shows up out of her past that she's still drawn to that life a little bit that she had before. And one of the great scenes is when we see she gets rid of the bandana, she puts some makeup on and dress, lets her hair down, and she's almost a different person. And you realize that she's, uh, in addition to being absolutely beautiful, she has been deliberately repressing this part of her. She knows on some level, as confident as she, as she speaks about being happy with her life now and having what she wants and being very uh, straightforward and no-nonsense about it, you see that she's been repressing this part of her, this wild side to her. And uh, the way it all comes together at the end, I won't spoil it for you because I think it's still on uh, TCM's page where you can DVR it if you're interested. So I won't spoil it for you, but the way it all comes together is is just terrific, and I think it's due almost entirely to her performance. The other actors are very good in it. There's some good uh, uh, comedy in it, and there's uh, the, the heel, who's played by Preston Foster, does a terrific job as well. And Lyle Talbot is very good as as uh, Preston Foster's very nervous sidekick. Worth a watch. If you ever thought that, uh, that this nonsense about Brando radically changing the face of acting and, and uh, acting pre-Brando being not very good, watch this movie, Heat Lightning. I think it'll change your mind. And the interesting thing, too, about Brando is I, I look at some of those early performances of his that are considered to be really great, and I find them very silly. Uh, Streetcar Named Desire, I can't get through that film. I find it so, so silly and on the waterfront. But the best performance I ever saw in a film by Marlon Brando was in Julius Caesar. He, he carries that film. He's absolutely magnificent, and it's the least actory uh, performance I've ever seen from him. So maybe I just don't like that type of acting. I don't know. I finished the book, The Premonition, by Michael Lewis. And uh, given what's going on now with COVID and the Delta variants, and does it or does it not affect kids more than the previous variant, which I don't think had a name, it, it seems like it's impossible to find out. It seems like it's impossible to get reliable information. I think I mentioned last time the Biden administration had to come out and 
and speak out against these media reports that were giving people the idea that there's really essentially no point in getting vaccinated because vaccinated people can still spread the variant, which again is true, but there's a whole lot of important information missing from that, starting with the fact that if you're vaccinated, your chances of contracting the virus are much, much lower in the first place. So the administration was even out there criticizing uh, the media. But as I said last time, I believe, I don't think it was entirely the media's fault because what the CDC put out was so confusing and misleading, you almost can't blame them. That's not to let the media off the hook. I mean, so much of this, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on for clicks, and it's making the situation much worse. But at the end of the book, The Premonition, it's revealed that one of the characters in the book, Dr. Charity Dean, left her post as the uh, assistant director, I believe, of the California Department of Public Health and started her own company, which is called, confusingly enough, the Public Health Company. But this is a private company. And the reason is because after many years working in public health in government uh, agencies and government capacity and seeing firsthand what the CDC does and how badly they do it, she came to the conclusion that a private company could do it better. I realize that's a essentially conservative position, which a lot of people won't like. I don't know why she came to that conclusion. And I'm following the public health company on Twitter and can't really figure out exactly what they're doing. But if you go to their website... You'll see in very big letters, we prevent, detect, and contain disease outbreaks. The public health company is on a mission to protect businesses and communities from infectious disease. Somehow, she has figured out a way to create a for-profit company that can essentially do the job that we all assume the CDC is doing or should be doing. Dealing with public health issues like pandemics by gathering together the best minds and figuring out the best ways to deal with it. In any case, I'm following the public health company on Twitter because I don't know where to get the real information anymore. The, the, the media is so invested in clickbait and fear-mongering that it's, it's very hard to get the straight story. You can't pay attention at all to the headline. And when you read what they have to say, you then have to follow. You have to do a lot of work. And I'm not opposed to doing work, but I don't like it when people make work for me, when they could just as easily do the work. I mean, I would, I would think that's the media's job. Do the work for me so I don't have to do it. Right? Tell me the truth. Don't make me go digging for it under under all the stuff that you're highlighting in order to freak people out and get them to click on your articles. One of the things that really concerns me, because I have kids, is 
you know, whether or not it's true that the Delta variant is much more dangerous for kids, that kids catch it more easily and that it has more severe effects. Um, you know, one of the other things I'm concerned about is boosters. I got vaccinated in April. They're saying, you know, it's about six months and you'll need a booster. But what I was reading yesterday is government wants to put a hold on that because not everybody's been vaccinated. And I got to tell you, that drives me crazy. If, if you haven't been vaccinated at this point, you're in one of two, one of three situations. You're a kid who can't get the vaccine, which I think is crazy. They got to do something about that. Uh, you are compromised in some way. Your immune system is compromised in some way and you can't receive the vaccine or you have an allergy maybe to some of the things in the vaccine, in which case you're, you're used to this, I would imagine. You're used to maybe not being able to get flu shots and things like that. It's unfortunate, but we can't stop society for that small group of people. Uh, and then the third group, which I think is probably the largest of the people who are just like, nope, not getting vaccinated. The government puts tracking chips in it or it's impinging on my freedom to do what I want and blah, blah, blah. And I think those people are the majority of the people who aren't getting vaccinated. And I don't see why we're running around trying to convince them. And by the way, the attempts to convince them are just terrible because it's all the typical social media shaming. They're idiots. They're morons. Oh, one of them died. You know, somebody died who refused to get the vaccine. Isn't that funny? Not really. Not really funny that somebody died. I'm not laughing. I think it's a tragedy. But it seems to me that we should be giving boosters and we should pr be prioritizing the people who used common sense and went and got vaccinated. I mean, from the beginning, we've been asked to make sacrifices and it's been largely voluntary. And we've seen when things have been mandatory, small things, wear a mask when you go inside this shop. It's an outrage. You know, this county or this village or this state, you know, came up with certain directives or, or mandates and people were just outraged by it. We don't, we have completely lost, we are so fat and happy in this country, we've completely lost the concept of sacrifice. We don't think we should sacrifice anything ever for any reason. And so you, you can't go out and force people to be vaccinated, and I don't think you should. But at the same time, what are we doing? Nothing we're doing is effective. We're not going to convince the people who don't want to be convinced. Let's move on. Our only concern should be, are they getting sick enough to be hospitalized in large enough numbers that it's going to create undue stress and burden on our healthcare system, which was the whole point from the beginning. We were going to flatten the curve. Remember that? So some of us from the beginning said, okay, we're going to take one for the team. We're going to flatten the curve. And I'll admit it was a lot easier for me than most because I work from home. I'm self-employed, you know, but we were, you had to wear masks out at some places. You, you, you know, there were, you know, concerts I had tickets for. Couldn't go, you know, that's, that's life. It's unfortunate, but that was life. We took one for the team. We went out and got vaccinated even though the, we weren't high risk because it was for the common good. 
And it seems to me that those of us who did all that ought to be prioritized over the cuckoos who think they're going to be tracked by the government if they get a vaccine. Maybe they're not cuckoos. I don't know. But they're sure not taking one for the team. They don't want the vaccine. Give me theirs, please. Give me their booster and my family. So I guess I'll just keep following the public health company and, you know, the people involved in it on Twitter, and hopefully we'll be able to get the real story when these reports come out that, that slant things in a way that are either for political purposes or uh, just, you know, for clickbait purposes. Hopefully we can get the real story, because I get the feeling we're headed for a very difficult winter. I know I was a couple days late this week. I'd apologize, but I don't think you care. I have the new setup here. Hopefully it sounds better than the other one. Uh, unfortunately, my cloud lifter, which is designed to, um, to boost the level of the microphone, does not work with this new interface. The new interface is superior in every way except that. So the result is I've got to have the gain kicked up pretty high, and that means you're hearing probably my AC going on and off, and you may get some distortion now and then. Hopefully as time goes on, that'll be fixed. But for now, it is the way it is. And if it's not good enough, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Have a great week. I will see you again next Monday. So long.